Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. This is uh, part two of our episode talking uh, about the paper, which has just been published, which you can download and read along with us. I'm here again with Bella Reichard, uh, lead author of this paper. Um, and this is effectively how to learn from our quantitative linguistic and qualitative analysis of RAF 2014 case studies to understand what worked. And so a, a real emphasis on how the evidence was communicated and how that came across and uh, hopefully explaining why it is that some of these highly scoring case studies did as well as they did. We've looked at the first of the two findings uh, in the previous episode and we've chunked this up because it was a fairly long one. I'm not sure how long we've got left on this um, but we're going to carry on reading at this point. So. Um, if you are coming in at the wrong point, um, this is part two. You need to skip back to part one and listen to the first part of the paper. And uh, I'm just going to cut straight to it now and hand over to Bella for our third finding. Over to you. Yeah, thank you, Mark. So, um, hello, everyone. I'll just come closer um, <laughs> to the mic. Um, so this is finding number three out of four. And it is called Highly Rated Case Studies Were Easy to Understand and Well Written. In preparation for the REF, many universities invested heavily in writing assistance to ensure that impact case studies were easy to understand and evaluation friendly for the assessment panels, which comprised academics and experts from other sectors. With this in mind, we investigated readability and style, both in the quantitative linguistic and in the qualitative thematic analysis. High-scoring impact case studies scored more highly on the flesh reading ease score, a readability measure based on the length of words and sentences. The scores in Table 11, which you can access in the paper itself, are reported out of 100 with a higher score indicating that a text is easier to read. While the scores reveal a significant difference between 4-star case studies and 2-star, 1-star, 2-star case studies, they also indicate that impact case studies are generally on the verge of graduate difficulty. As such, our analysis should not be understood as suggesting that these technical documents should be adjusted to the readability of newspaper article, but they should be maintained at interested and educated non-specialist level. Interestingly, there were differences between the main panels. In social science and humanities case studies, main panels C and D, High-scoring impact case studies scored significantly higher on reading ease than low-scoring ones. There was no significant difference in main panel A between four and one two-star case studies. However, all main panel A case studies showed on average lower reading ease scores than the low-scoring cases in main panel C and D. This means that their authors used longer words and sentences which may be explained in part by more and longer technical terms needed in main panel A disciplines. The difference between high and low scoring case studies in main panels C and D may be explained by the use of more technical jargon, and we confirm that in the qualitative analysis. The flesh reading ease measure assesses the sentence and word level rather than capturing higher level text processing difficulty. 
While this is recognized as a reliable indicator of comparative reading ease, and the underlying measures of sentence and word length are highly correlated with reading speed, Hartley, 2016, is right in his criticism that the tool takes neither the meaning of the words nor the wider text into account. The Cometrics tool, which we used, provides further measures for reading ease based on textual cohesion in these texts compared to a set of general English texts. Of the eight principal component scores computed by the tool, most did not reveal a significant difference between high and low scoring case studies or between different main panels. Moreover, in most measures, impact case studies overall were fairly homogeneous compared to the baseline of general English texts. However, there were significant differences between high and low scoring impact case studies in two of the measures, deep cohesion and connectivity. Deep cohesion shows whether a text makes causal connections between ideas explicit, for example using words like because and so, or whether the text leaves those connections for the reader to infer. High scoring case studies had a higher level of deep cohesion compared to general English texts, while low scoring case studies tended to sit below the general English average. In addition, main panel A case studies, that's life sciences, which received the lowest scores in the flesh reading ease, on average scored higher on deep cohesion than case studies in more discursive disciplines. That's main panel C, social sciences, and main panel D, arts and humanities. The other measure where we found a significant difference is connectivity. Uh, this measures the level of explicit logical connectives, that's words such as and, or, and but, to show relations in the text. Impact case studies were low in connectivity compared to general English text, but within each of the main panels, high-scoring case studies had more explicit connectivity than low-scoring case studies. This means that main panel A case studies, while using on average longer words and sentences, as indicated by the flesh reading ease scores, compensated for this by making causal and logical relationships more explicit in the text. In main panels C and D, which on average scored lower on these measures, there was a clearer difference between high and low scoring case studies than in main panel A, with high scoring case studies being easier to read. Linked to this, low scoring case studies across panels were more likely than high scoring case studies to contain phrases linked to the research process, suggesting an overemphasis on the research rather than the impact, and a focus on process over findings or quality of the research. And also, there were more filler phrases, such as in terms of the way in which or in relation to. High-scoring case studies were more likely to clearly identify individual impacts via subheadings and paragraph headings. The difference is especially pronounced in main panel D, with a small difference in main panel C and no significant difference in main panel A. In units of assessment combined in main panel D, a more discursive academic writing style is prevalent, using fewer visual or typographical distinctions such as headings. The difference in the number of headings used in case studies from those disciplines suggests that high-scoring case studies showed greater divergence from disciplinary norms than low-scoring case studies. 
This may have allowed them to adapt the presentation of their research impact to the audience of panel members to a greater extent than low-scoring case studies. The qualitative thematic, thematic analysis of case studies indicates that it's not simply the number of subheadings that matters, although this comparison is interesting, especially in the context of the larger discrepancy in main panel D. Table 14, which you can read in the paper, summarises a formatting that was considered helpful and unhelpful from the qualitative analysis. So examples of uh, formatting primarily from the, uh, the high-scoring case studies. In terms of headings, these were meaningful and consistent. They corresponded to the structure that may, in, in many cases, be signposted in section one um, or at the start of the relevant section. And it would have one or two levels of subheadings. By contrast, examples of formatting from the low-scoring case studies uh, showed that there was a danger of breaking the text up too much at the expense of a coherent narrative. And headings, which are titles of research projects or names of researchers, give the impression that they are the focus of the case study rather than the impact. Both high and low scoring case studies used bullet points and lists, but in the high scoring case studies, these were more likely to be lists of testimonials, details of the impact section, details of the impact by beneficiary, uh, highlighted the central questions, uh, research questions of these projects, and in section two, breaking down research findings or breaking up the questionnaire responses. In one or two examples of case studies, this is so. These tables um, include examples that we found in the 2014 case studies that we read, and this was just one of the examples that. Well, there you go. We probably did not generalize enough. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, on to the more on the negative side, the low scoring case studies. Um, bullet points uh, announce a list that is then not fully elaborated on. The points don't link together. Uh, or a danger of highlighting irrelevant details and therefore weakening the claim for reach and significance. And then finally, the use of bold or italics. So in the high-scoring case studies, if bold was used, it was used for impacts, beneficiaries, researcher names, dates and references to sections three or five, and uh, italics for testimonial quotes. Um, in the low-scoring ones, um, uh, italics less effective for impacts or beneficiaries, so using italics rather than bold for those, and testimonials as block quotations, which gives the impression of taking over from the main narrative. The observations in these tables stem from... Um, uh, uh, do they all...? The, well, the tables below, one, is that now? Oh, no, this last... Oh, <laughs> this is table 14. Tables 11 to 13, there you go. The previous ones um, <laughs> yeah. come from the quantitative linguistic analysis, which, while enabling statistical testing, doesn't show directly the effect of a text on a reader. When conducting the qualitative thematic analysis, we collected examples of formatting and stylistic features from the writing and presentation of high and low scoring case studies that might have affected clarity of the text. So this table I've just read and the table that we're going to go on to next. Specifically, 38% of low scoring case studies made inappropriate use of adjectives to describe impacts compared to 20% of high scoring. And I'll give you some examples in a moment. Inappropriate use of adjectives may have given an, an impression of overclaiming or created a less factual impression than case studies that use adjectives more sparingly to describe impacts. 
Some included adjectives to describe impacts in testimonial quotes, giving third-party endorsement to the claims rather than using these adjectives directly in the case study text. So uh, some examples of stylistic features uh, identified from high versus low scoring case studies. And we've got uh, three different um, stylistic features. So first, it's the clarity of writing. And in the high scoring ones, we've got uh, a simple style and vocab vocabulary, claims that are made directly, and um, a, a style that avoids long, complex sentences and breaks text into paragraphs, subsections, and lists where relevant. In the low-scoring ones, uh, clarity of writing, well, we've got long sentences, unnecessarily complex language, text not broken up with poor organisation, hard to follow even if technical vocabulary isn't used, and long-winded descriptions with poor explanations. Uh, a second stylistic feature is the use of technical jargon and acronyms. In the high-scoring ones, uh, it tends to avoid isms and lenses and such like. Uh, it explains necessary technical terms and content uh, and context, and it spells out uh, sparingly used acronyms. In those scoring ones, um, the, there was technical jargon and acronyms used in crucial places, for example, when describing the impact. Too much background knowledge was assumed uh, on the part of the reader. Jargon disguised how, uh, how vague the claims perhaps were. Uh, unexplained technical terms uh, and acronyms across the text and an overuse of acronyms, making the text hard to follow. And then finally, narrative progression. In the high-scoring ones, you've got clear uh, narrative progression, whereas the low-scoring ones have no narrative, uh, no coherent narrative linking research to pathways and impacts, or linking different pathways and impacts together. Uh, spelling mistakes and grammatical errors, and uh, swapping between first and third person. So when we just said the um, low-scoring case studies, for example, did not have a coherent narrative linking research uh, to pathways and impact, that doesn't, of course, mean that all of the case studies in our sample or all of the low-scoring case studies had this problem. It just means that these problems were ones that we found in the low-scoring part of our data set. Yeah. And uh, the final piece of finding or piece of examples um, to do with the easy to read and clarity of writing finding um, is the use of adjectives. So inappropriate use might be unsubstantiated, sorry, unsubstantiated use, giving the impression of overclaiming. And that might include examples such as promising, significant, invested heavily without just without really saying what heavily means. Excellent or fundamental, explaining rapidly. Expanding. Rapidly. Expanding. <laughs> <laughs> expanding rapidly were overused across a number of cases and were often unsubstantiated. So if you are going to use those kinds of words, they are much more effective if they are backed up by figures to help the reader assess the scale. Um, similar problem with the vague use of adjectives that could weaken the claim or cast doubt on the claim. Um, so if uh, there were claims of impact on many people or many whatevers without a definition of many. Um, substantial is in one case study used to describe estimate of millions of dollars of benefit drawing to the attention to the fact that there is no specific number and it is only an estimate. And even something like very well received and some very valuable feedback without being able to provide examples 
casts doubt on that particular claim. Great, so moving on to our final key finding, which is that highly rated case studies were more likely to describe underpinning research findings rather than research processes. So uh, to be eligible, case studies in REF 2014 had to be based on underpinning research that was, quote, recognised internationally in terms of originality, significance and rigour, denoted by a two-star quality profile. Ineligible case studies were excluded from our sample, i.e. those in the unclassifiable quality profile. So all the case studies should have been based on strong research. Once this research quality threshold has been passed, scores were based on the significance and reach of impact. So case studies with higher rated research should not in theory get better scores on the basis of their underpinning research. However, there is evidence that units whose research outputs scored well in REF 2014 also performed well on impact. Uh, it says unpublished Research England analysis that was cited by Stephen Hill in 2016. This observation only shows that high quality research and impact were co-located rather than demonstrating any kind of causal relationship between high quality research and highly rated impacts. However, our qualitative thematic analysis suggests that weaker descriptions of research, underpinning research that was not evaluated directly, may have been more likely to be co-located with lower rated impacts at the level of individual case studies. We know that the majority of underpinning research in the sample was graded two star or above because we excluded unclassifiable case studies from the analysis, but individual ratings for outputs in the underpinning research section are not provided in REF 2014. Therefore, the qualitative analysis looked for a range of indicators of strong or weak research in four categories. First, indicators of publication quality. Second, quality of funding sources. Third, narrative descriptions of research quality. And fourth, the extent to which the submitting unit versus collaborators outside the institution had contributed to the underpinning research. As would be expected, given that all case studies had passed the two-star threshold, only a small minority of cases in the sample gave grounds to doubt the quality of the underpinning research. However, both our qualitative and quantitative analyses identified research-related differences between high and low-scoring impact case studies. Based on our qualitative thematic analysis of indicators of research quality, a number of low-scoring case studies contained indications that underpinning research may have been weak. This was extremely rare in high-scoring case studies. In the most extreme case, one case study was not only was not able to submit any published research to underpin the impact, relying instead on having secured grant funding and having a manuscript under review. Table 17 describes indicators that underpinning research may have been weaker, presumably closer to the two-star th quality threshold for eligibility. It also describes the indications of higher quality research, which were likely to have exceeded the two-star threshold that were found in the rest of the sample. Uh, I'll go through this in a moment. Uh, higher scoring case studies demonstrated the quality of the research using a range of direct and indirect approaches. Direct approaches included the construction of arguments that articulated the originality, significance and rigour of the research in the underpinning research section of the case studies, uh, sometimes with reference to outputs that were being assessed elsewhere in the exercise to provide a quick and robust check on quality ratings. In addition to this, a wide range of indirect proxies were used to infer quality, including publication venue, funding sources, reviews and awards. 
Uh, I'll come back to the text uh, in a moment here. So here is the table. Um, and so we've got these four types of uh, indicator. Uh, so first of all, publication quality. And here are some of the indications of stronger research that was likely to have exceeded the two-star threshold. So we've got peer-reviewed uh, in journals that are well-regarded within the discipline, even if journals are not ranked highly. Monographs published by respected academic publishers, reviews in broadsheet newspapers, specialist magazines and awards or nominations, coupled with translation into multiple languages. That's a main panel D in particular for that one. Uh, and then panels A to C, uh, research met the inclusion criteria for a systematic review. Uh, so across a lot of these, it's very discipline specific. Uh, on the other hand, in terms of publication quality indications of weaker underpinning research, so closer to the two-star quality threshold, included absence of peer-reviewed work or in-press with no DOI in main, main panels A to C, publications only in magazines targeted practitioners, for example, trade magazines, underpinning research consists only of a narrative literature review or other pieces with no original research, uh, publication in apparently predatory journals with limited, poor or no peer review, reliance on conference papers or lectures in disciplines where this is not widely respected, uh, and books published by non-academic publishers. Uh, in terms of funding, the indicators of stronger research were peer-reviewed funding from sources considered prestigious in the UOA the case study was submitted to, even if they were small total amounts, uh, versus in the uh, ones which indicated weaker, or less, weaker research, uh, less prestigious, uh, non-peer-reviewed fund source, funding sources or non-peer-reviewed reports sub submitted as underpinning research. Uh, in terms of the stronger research, the narrative description of the research quality, uh, there was a strong narrative justification of originality, significance and rigour, or awards for research and or uh, researchers showing academic recognition. Uh, and then in, uh, in terms of the, the weaker underpinning research, this narrative description, well, it was described in ways that suggested no original or significant knowledge was generated. For example, the university's role in a project was to generate impact from research done by other partners. And then finally, uh, the contribution to underpinning research. Uh, there were not any doubts when it came to the stronger, um, but in terms of weaker underpinning research, um, there were things like researchers being far down authorship lists with no explanation of the significance of their role in the work, uh, research included that is unrelated to the impact in the case study, or work based on a funded network where it's not clear if the research emerged from network, network, network members or the submitting institution. <clears throat> so these indicators are of particular interest given the stipulation in REF 2021 that case studies must provide evidence of research quality with the only official guidance suggesting that this is done via the use of indicators. The indicators identified in the table I've just gone through overlap significantly with example indicators proposed by panels in the REF 2021 guidance. However, there are also a number of additional indicators which may be of use for demonstrating the quality of research in REF 2021 case studies. In common with proposed REF 2021 research quality indicators, many of the indicators in the table I've just read are highly context-dependent based on subjective disciplinary norms that are used as shortcuts to assessments of quality by peers within a given context. Funding sources, publication venues and reviews that are considered pres prestigious in one disciplinary context are often perceived very differently in other disciplinary contexts. 
while RASH 2021 does not allow the use of certain indicators, for example, journal impact factors, no comment is given on the appropriateness of the suggested indicators. While this may be problematic, given that an indicator by definition signposts, suggests or indicates by proxy rather than representing the outcome of any rigorous assessment, we make no comment on whether it is appropriate to judge research quality via such proxies. Instead, uh, this table presents a subjective, quali qualitative identification of indicators of high or low research quality, which were, as far as possible, considered within the context of disciplinary norms within the units of assessment to which the case studies belonged. In addition to these assessments of research quality in the qualitative analysis, the quantitative linguistic analysis also found differences between the high and low scoring case studies relating to underpinning research. There were significantly more words and phrases in lower scoring case studies compared to high scoring cases relating to research outputs, for example, the paper, peer-reviewed, journal of et al, or the research process, for example, research project, the research, his work, research team, and descriptions of research relationship between research into or the research. So a relationship between that one is actually often framing a research question, but it does appear very vague if it's used to describe an impact. The word research itself appears frequently in both um, high and low scoring case studies. There is a small but significant overuse in the low scoring case studies compared to the high scoring ones. There are two alternative ways to interpret these findings. First, the qualitative research appears to suggest a link between higher quality underpinning research and higher impact scores. However, the causal mechanism is not clear. An independent review of REF 2014 commissioned by the UK government, Stern 2016, proposed that underpinning research should only have to meet the two-star threshold for rigour, as the academic significance and novelty of the research is not in theory a necessary precursor to significant and far-reaching impact. However, a number of the indications of weaker research in Table 17 relate to academic significance and originality, and many of the indicators that suggested research exceeded the two-star threshold imply academic significance and originality as well. For example, more prestigious publication venues often demand stronger evidence of academic significance and originality in addition to rigour. As such, it may be possible to posit two potential causal mechanisms related to the originality and or the significance of research. First, it may be argued that major new academic breakthroughs may be more likely to lead to impacts, whether directly in the case of applied research that addresses societal challenges in new and important ways leading to breakthrough impacts, or indirectly in the case of major new methodological or theoretical breakthroughs that make new work possible that addresses previously intractable challenges. Second, the highest quality research may have subconsciously biased reviewers to view associated impacts more favourably. Further research would be necessary to test either mechanism. However, these mechanisms do not explain the high frequency of words and phrases relating to research outputs and process in low-scoring case studies. Both high and low-scoring case studies described the underpinning research, and none of the phrases that emerge from the analysis imply higher or lower quality of research. 
We hypothesize that this may be explained by low-scoring case studies devoting more space to underpinning research at the expense of other sections that it may, may have been more likely to contribute towards scores. Word limits were indicative, and the real limit of four pages in, in draft 2014, extended to five in draft 2021, was operationalized in various ways. However, a t-test found no significant difference between the underpinning research counts in high versus low scoring impact case studies. We've got a mean of 579 and 537 words in, in high versus low, respectively. Uh, instead, we note that words and phrases relating to research in the low-scoring case studies focused more on descriptions of research outputs and processes rather than descriptions of research findings or the quality of research, as requested in REF 2014 guidelines. Given that eligibility in this section is based on whether the research findings underpin the impact and the quality of the research, we hypothesise that the focus of low-scoring case studies on research outputs and processes was unnecessary at best, or replaced or obscured research findings at worst. This could be conceptualised as another instance of the content-process distinction, whereby high-scoring case studies focused on what the research found and low-scoring case studies focused on the process through which the research was conducted and disseminated. It could be concluded that this tendency may have contributed towards lower scores if unnecessary descriptions of research outputs and process which would have not contributed towards scores used up spaces, space that could otherwise have been used for material that may have contributed towards scores. So that's our findings. Um, I'm going to read through some limitations of our research. Um, Marcus just um, kind of started with that saying, or oh, delimitate our remit a little bit. Um, but I want to be very clear that these findings may be useful in guiding the construction and writing of case studies for REF 2021. But it is important to recognize that our analyses are retrospective showing examples of what was judged to be good and poor practice in the authorship of case studies for REF 2014. Importantly, the findings of this study should not be used to infer a causal relationship between the linguistic features we have identified and the judgments of the REF evaluation panel. Our quantitative analysis has identified similarities and differences in the linguistic features of case studies, but there are undoubtedly a range of considerations taken into account by evaluation panels. It is also not possible to anticipate how REF 2021 panels will interpret guidance and evaluate case studies, and there is already evidence that practice is changing significantly across the sector. This shift in expectations regarding impact is especially likely to be the case in research concerned with public policy, which are increasingly including policy implementation as well as policy design in their requirements, and research involving public engagement, which is increasingly being expected to provide longitudinal evidence of benefits and provide evidence of cause and effect. We are unable to say anything conclusive from our sample about case studies that focus primarily on public engagement and pedagogy because neither of these types of impact were common enough in either the high or low scoring sample to infer reliable findings. While this is the largest sample of known high versus low scoring case studies ever analysed, 
It is important to note that this represents less than 3% of the total case studies submitted to REF 2014. Although the number of case studies was fairly evenly balanced between main panels and the thematic analysis, the sample only included a selection of units of, units of assessment from each main panel, where sufficient numbers of high and low scoring case studies could be identified. So that's 14 and 20 out of 36 units of assessment in the qualitative and quantitative studies, respectively. As such, caution should be taken when generalizing from these findings. So let's conclude. This paper provides empirical insights into the linguistic differences in high scoring and low scoring impact case studies in REF 2014. High scoring case studies were more likely to have articulated evidence of significant and far reaching impact rather than just presenting the activities used to reach intended future impacts. And they articulated clear evidence of causal links between underpinning research and claimed impact. While the cause and effect relationship between linguistic features, styles and the panel's evaluation cannot be claimed, we have provided a granularity of analysis that shows how high versus low scoring case studies attempted to meet the REF criteria. Knowledge of these features may provide useful lessons for future case study authors submitting, submitting institutions and others developing impact assessments internationally. Specifically, we show that high-scoring case studies were more likely to provide specific and high-magnitude articulations of significance and reach compared to low-scoring case studies, which were more likely to provide less specific and lower-magnitude articulations of significance and reach. Lower-scoring case studies were more likely to focus on pathways to impact rather than articulating clear impact claims, with a particular focus on one-way modes of knowledge transfer. High-scoring case studies were more likely to provide clear links between underpinning research and impacts supported by high-quality corroborating evidence compared to low-scoring case studies that often had missing links between research and impact and were more likely to be underpinned by corroborating evidence that was vague and or not clearly linked to impact claims. Linked to this, high-scoring case studies were more likely to contain attributional phrases, and these phrases were more likely to attribute research and or pathways to impact, compared to low-scoring case studies, which contained less attributional phrases and more likely to provide attribution to pathways rather than impact. Furthermore, there is evidence that high-scoring case studies had more explicit causal connections between ideas and more logical connective words and or but than, than low-scoring case studies. However, in addition to the explicit REF 2014 rules, which appear to have been enacted effectively by subpanels, there is evidence that implicit rules, particularly linked to written style, may also have played a role. High-scoring case studies appear to have conformed to a distinctive new genre of writing, which was clear and direct, often simplified in its representation of causality between research and impact, and less likely to contain expressions of uncertainty than might be normally expected in academic writing. Low-scoring case studies were more likely to contain filler phrases that could be described as academies, more likely to be to use unsubstantiated or vague adjectives to describe impacts, and were less likely to signpost readers to key points using subheadings and paragraph headings. 
high-scoring case studies in the two main panels out of the three that could be analysed in this way were significantly easier to read, although both high- and low-scoring case studies tended to be of graduate difficulty. These findings suggest that aspects of written style may have contributed towards or compromised the scores of some case studies in REF 2014, in line with previous research emphasising the role of implicit and subjective factors in determining the outcomes of impact evaluation. If this were the case, it may raise questions about whether case studies are an appropriate way to evaluate impact. However, metric-based approaches have many other uh, metric-based approaches have many other limitations, and are widely regard, regarded as inappropriate for evaluating societal impact. Comparing research output evaluation systems across different countries, uh, Severtson, two thousand and seventeen, presents the peer-reviewed-based UK REF as quote, best practice compared to the metrics-based systems elsewhere. Comparing the evaluation of impact in the UK to impact evaluations in the USA, the Netherlands, Italy and Finland, Derek, 2019, describes REF 2014 and REF 2021 as, quote, the world's most developed agenda for evaluating the wider benefits of research and its success has influenced the way many other countries define and approach the assessment of impact. We cannot be certain about the extent to which linguistic features or style shaped the judgment of REF evaluators, nor can such influences easily be identified or even consciously recognised when they at work. Um, for example, cross-reference to research on subconscious bias and tacit knowledge, the idea that, quote, we know more than we can say. Polanyi, thank you. That's 1958. Nonetheless, we hope that the granularity of our findings proves useful in informing decisions about presenting case studies, both for case study authors in REF 2021 and other research impact evaluations around the world, and those designing such evaluation processes. In publishing this evidence, we hope to create a more level playing field between institutions with and without significant resources available to hire dedicated staff or consultants to help write their impact case studies. So, we've reached the end of the paper. Um, well done if you've uh, managed to hold on all the way to the end. Um, a brief bit of uh, discussion before we conclude this um, and we're going to try and um, record another episode to, to release this week as well linked to this just to unpack some of this and uh, explore what this might look like when we apply this to RAF 2021 impact case studies. Uh, I guess the, the question at this point for me is well what's, what do we do with this and we've identified a, a couple of audiences here so um, we've got uh, REF 2021 um, case study authors um, or people organising um, such exercises of writing case studies in their institution. Um, and then we've got the broader international kind of context. So, Bella, when it comes to REF 2021 case study authors, um, what, are, what are the take-homes for, for you, for, for that particular audience from this? Um. The, the subheadings of the paper. <laughs> um, let me just summarise them because... Uh, oops, are we? 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the, the the first three are the key the key ones. That that fourth the one. The fourth one you can't really do that much about. It's no, I mean at you, the writing stage. Yeah, that is. You, you've got your underpinning research, and yeah, there there are things that you can do to connect it more effectively to your yeah. your impact, um, etc. Um, and there are suggestions that it might link to higher scores, but uh, whether that's actually through um, subconscious bias or some other mechanism is is unclear. Uh, where you can really make a, a difference, I would argue, is in those those first three, um, which are more to do with, uh, in the first two, I think, uh, doing what it says on the can, um, actually giving some actual evidence of genuine impact, <laughs> so it was significant and it was far-reaching, and actually showing cause and effect. Um, the, uh, and, and clearly you can have one and not the other, and that's why they both account for scores, so I could have um, something which uh, is a really clearly big claim with some evidence, but I could still fall down if I've not managed to get the cause and effect working back to the research, and vice versa. I could have really beautifully causally linked research through to impact, but the, re the impact's really insignificant or badly evidenced. So ideally you're looking for, for both, and uh, generally speaking they did that. Um, but where it gets controversial and where your expertise comes in, um, in particular, is this third claim, um, because this is implicit. Um, this is not in the, in, uh, in the criteria, and yet it does seem to make a, a big difference. So when it comes to writing these, these case studies, what, what are you, for you the, the key, the key take-home? So you talked about structure, clearly um, getting your subheadings right, um, but what else? Uh putting yourself in the shoe of the reader, and the reader may be your colleague, maybe your, I mean, the imaginary reader may be someone who could have worked on this project with you, but it may also be someone at the completely different end of the unit of assessment. So there are some units of assessment that are quite heterogeneous. Um, for example, you're a four, uh, psychology, psychiatry, and neurosciences. So, someone working or specialising even in one of those fields and assessing a case study in a completely different field but that's subsumed under the same unit of assessment may not immediately understand uh, what you mean by a certain acronym even if your colleague down the corridor would. Um, so that's one thing and also um, the panel contains uh, or part of the panels are um, what are they called experts? Um, yeah, the, the non-academic user experts, yeah, yeah. So, that kind of, yeah, people, people outside of academia mm. who evaluate the impact from a different perspective. And these people may, you know, may not be currently embedded in current academic jargon in your field. So keep that in mind when, um, when editing, uh, what, how much detail mm. do you need to tell the reader about um, how much detail do, you th do they need to know? Have you got all of that? Will it be able to, will they be able to understand what you mean without you defining? Sometimes the answer is yes, but I would encourage you to ask yourself that question quite a lot. 
Yeah, another example is um, I went into planning and architecture and you've yes, got very much a so. bunch of social scientists doing uh, planning research and then you've got a bunch of architects that range all the way from hardcore science type stuff all the way through to arts and humanities. It's, it's properly diverse. Yeah. So, um, but, but I would argue, yeah, whether you've got a, a diverse unit of assessment or something that's not quite as broad ranging, uh, you've still got these user experts on there um, and you're going to have people well outside your sub-discipline so um, so yeah it needs to be understandable but one of the things that I advise people in, in their case studies is to try and keep the underpinning research section to the minimum you need to be able to articulate the research findings that the impact is based on and you might want to get in some of the stuff around quality, although we're asked to put that into session three in uh, in REF 2021. But it is just an eligibility check in theory. And if you spend a lot of time on this, uh, certainly if you're well over the five, six hundred words, I would argue that uh, that's likely going to be cannibalizing uh, space that you could otherwise have used in session four. And that for me is where you're going to get most of the marks. Um, in, in some of the tables here, you can see um, where these words and phrases uh, were were common. Um, uh, and from that, but also just from, from experience, uh, for me, it's section four, which is where the action is happening. Yeah, I want a good title and I want a, a compelling summary. Uh, but if that isn't then backed up by a really strongly worded and evidenced section four with some proper claims, then then yeah, I, I, I'm not going to do very well. And I certainly don't want to stuff up all of those pages with long-winded descriptions of the research. You just mentioned section one. And uh, you said, well, yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter that much. Well, you don't quite say that, but you said mm -hmm. section four matters more. Um, from my uh, perspective of focusing on the reader, section one does matter massively, obviously yeah. not in evidencing, but um, when I read section one as a reviewer, I would like to know immediately what is going on. I've recently read quite a few sections, one that were 80% research, 20%. Mm -hmm headings of what type of impact but I would like to know you know just maybe one sentence about the research and then just just to establish the link a little bit give me an idea of what this is about and then tell me what happened what changed who did it change for give me an indication of the nature of the impact not just a heading of the type um, so I don't want to know that this has had I don't only want to know that this has had societal impact I want to know how it changed society and who the beneficiaries are uh, and ideally an indication of scale as well so um, where did that impact happen not necessarily geographically but how many schools did you reach whatever mm -hmm. it was um, just an indication of that to give me a structure for slotting different pieces of information in that I will get later on in the case study both in sections 2 and section 4 mm -hmm. Um, I find that really important. Yeah, as a rule of thumb, I, I suggest uh, aim for at least 50% of the words in that summary to be about the impact, because very rarely is that actually the case. And okay, that was the research, and now that's the pathway. And oh, we've got some more pathway, and quite often it's just that last sentence that actually yep. tells you what the impact was. And I want to have a sense of its significance and its reach from, from the summary. So yeah, let's create some good impressions here. Um, but at the same time, I've also read a lot of these where you've got these incredible summaries and then, huh, uh, there's, there's one quite embarrassing, one star one that uh, that says um, that we changed, um, it, was, it was a climate change project and, um, and they changed how people, 
thought about climate change around the world um, and it turned out it was a public engagement um, uh, activity in a small market town and uh, they might change if, uh, the way a few people in that town thought but uh, it definitely wasn't a global impact so you need to be able to follow through which is which is why yeah, yeah uh, even the most impressive summary if you haven't got what it takes in section four then you're, you're still doomed <laughs> yeah i found that too that sometimes i was taught yay this is great this is great this is great and then well you you said this but now you can't you, you you can't specify and also if that happens what mark said earlier that the impact comes in the last sentence finally you've got a kind of an indication but then you switch and go back to the research yeah. and that's where i'm left hanging that's where i would like to just scroll down and get to section four please <laughs> um so yeah, so loads more that we could say, and loads more that we will say, in fact. Um, so if you're enjoying this conversation, uh, then um, the, the next episode, which we're going to put out, is going to uh, be an exploration of uh, everything that we've learned from this research as we've been applying this to help people write their REF 2021 case studies. Um, we haven't quite decided how we're going to do this, but maybe no. just go through the structure, actually, because um, uh, we started at the beginning there and uh, maybe build on this and, and work through. Um, obviously, this will be entirely anonymised, but we will be speaking from uh, our experience of, of looking at real case studies. Uh, and hope that uh, whether or not you've uh, found the paper digestible, um, that, uh, that you will hopefully be encouraged to go back and look at some of that evidence as you hear how we're applying it. So we'll get much more practical in the episode to come.